I all mean, right. That's why we don't work in the uh, front office. It's like, eh. or, or maybe we should. <laughs> so a team will just have mad players that I like. Yeah, we'll have Tobias Harris and Chris Middleton and Jeremy Grant and Jokic and whatever other three and D players that you feel like you want to add. Just you'd have a team just full of three and D players. Yeah. We'll score 60, but only allow 55 and kick ass. <laughs> let's go! Come on, everybody, and let's get to bumping, because it's real blazing time. Baby, Rip City's jumping now. Welcome to the 21st edition of the Holy Backboard Podcast. I am Dustin, live from Rip City, and I got my man... Sage, man, this podcast is old enough to legally get something at the bar now. If this podcast were drunk or to order a drink, what type of adult beverage do you think it would choose? It's either going to be something very hipstery or a Bahama Mama. I think since it's the mix of us, it's going to order something very silly as its first drink. What do you think? I mean, damn, that's actually a really good answer. Thank you. I think in true Portland spirit, it would probably have to be a local microbrew to get the night started. However, if uh, a championship were to occur while it was ordering its first streak, you know it's going straight for the hard A and uh, probably won't stop till about 8 in the morning. You know, the party don't stop, man. That's for recording Monday night, and we definitely need to talk about the Memphis Grizzlies, so I pretty much texted you and said, what do you think about doing it after the Super Bowl in true Sage fashion? You're like, just let me eat first. So cool with me. <laughs> yeah, man. My mama made some uh, beef stew. Had to get that second portion. So what What else was on your Super Bowl menu? Well, uh, uh, my mom decided to really look at uh, cookbooks and magazines for recipes and she found some nachos that are served at Saints games, which you know I'm all about. So it's nachos with like really fresh seafood, crab, shrimp. It was good. And then I went to KFC and got those Louisville uh, uh, chickens. It was Nashville good. chicken, Sage. Nashville. All right. Sorry. Apparently their advertising isn't working because I'm not eating KFC and I know what it is. It's called, but you you know just went for it. So I think they need to switch up what they're doing. Yeah, exactly. It was good. My mom and I were like, "This isn't Popeyes, but it ain't bad." So, are there any Popeyes in Southern Oregon? Nah, man. I'm like, if you follow my Twitter, I talk about Blazers, Pelicans, Saints, basketball stuff, and then I'll I'm doing a low key campaign about trying to get Popeyes into into Southern Oregon. So while you try to get Popeyes into Southern Oregon, I'll try to get Fancy Feast to sponsor this podcast because Bassie's been eating quite a bit of Fancy Feast over the past uh, month. Actually, in the whole new year, the Blazers have uh, been fantastic, currently sitting 25 and 27. Mm -hmm. They are just one game out of eight and actually three out of six. So that's pretty incredible. The Blazers can be fewer games out of sixth place than they are out of the the 10th place Sacramento Kings, who have lost you know three straight and are looking in complete disarray. Already rumors of them having to win their next couple of games to keep their coach. I'm no psychic, but if I looked into my holy backboard crystal ball, 
I'd have to say the Kings aren't a legitimate contender to catch the Trailblazers for mm. that eighth seed. Really, it's Portland, it's Portland or Utah. One yeah. of those two teams is going to make it. As much of a dumpster fire as the Houston Rockets are, it's, it's almost unfathomable to think of them being a lottery team coming mm. off of a Western Conference run. I mean, it's, it's still possible, but I wouldn't hold my breath on that one just yet. But, you know, back to the Blazers. What an amazing victory that was over the Rockets. A convincing 96-79, to just stomping in Houston on Saturday. Most impressively, they did it without their starting power forward, Noah Vonley, and their sixth man, Alan Crabb. I really didn't think they would be able to pull it off losing two of their top six rotation players. Definitely, and they had it so well in hand for most of the game that I started to feel good. But then in the fourth quarter, hard or late third, early fourth, Harden made like 11 straight points. And I had this, a little bit of dread, like we have to, we have to play really well for the next four or five minutes just so we can rest our starters the rest of the game. Because as, mu- as well as we played, the Rockets can score pretty quickly. Well, we saw early on in the season when they beat us in overtime, we had a pretty sizable lead down the stretch and they came back. The Blazers aren't the best team at playing with a lead. I even tweeted out from the Holy Backboard account that never has a 21-point lead felt so small. I was texting my mom. I was like, Mom, we're really going to lose this one, aren't we? And yeah, a little bit was trying to do a little bit reverse jinx. But in the back of your mind, you know, you watched that Clipper game in the preseason. We blew a 35-point lead. We had the Pistons dead to rights in the Rose City late in the third quarter. Let them come back and actually beat us by double digits. This is a team that relies on the jump shot, does not have a consistent low post score who's going to get you easy buckets. So it's, it's tough to play with a lead when those shots aren't falling. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the Blazers, they, they turn the ball over way, way too much. 21 times they turned it over. They really let Houston back in the game. And if Houston was not such a train wreck right now, Almost any other team would have came back on the Blazers. So while you're thrilled they you know, took a huge victory on the road against the team they're chasing in the standings, there's still a lot to improve upon. I'm shocked that we can be so negative and so critical about a game we absolutely curb-stomped the opposing team in. But it got, it got a kind of nerve-wracking. Oh, don't get me wrong. I was exhilarated. I was thrilled, that excited. That game was awesome. I couldn't believe what I was watching. You know, even Tim Frazier was hitting step-back jumpers. So you know it was going to be a good night, but we have a tendency to play sloppy and let opponents back into games and that's still a little bit frustrating. However, in the end, it really looking back, it really wasn't close. The Rockets got with under 20 maybe once. We answered with a quick 8-0 run late or to begin the fourth quarter and it was pretty much all all downhill for our Trailblazers. Uh do you think Patrick Beverly is ever going to get over Dame just completely torching him in that 2014 playoffs because it was the first quarter and he's already diving at Lillard, pulling at him, getting technicals. And it seems like that happens every time those two go up against each other. I think partly it's because Dame sunned him. I mean, you can't get over the fact that you just got embarrassed on national TV. And it's another part. I think Beverly is that type of dude that will try and do dirty-esque things on the court. Like, is he the Matthew Delavadova of the Western Conference? Is he a little bit dirty? I think, from what I've seen him quite a few times, and we're going to see him quite uh, a few more times in the next few weeks, he, he's a little bit dirty. You you might say he's over-aggressive, but 
He does some dirty tactics sometimes, but he also is a very good defender. Except when he's going up against Damian Lillard. Lillard recorded his third straight double-double, the first time he's done such a feat in his uh, four-year career. He posted uh, 21 points, 10 assists, 4 rebounds. Not the best shooting night, just 7 of 20, but he really had control of the game. And when we needed a bucket, Dame, he just took over in the fourth, had uh, three or four buckets in a row, and really put an end to any run that they had. He just continues to look for his teammates. And not that he wasn't before, but I think the game, as crazy as it sounds, it's slowing down even more for him. And he's able to dissect the defense. Some of his passes are just amazing. He was really working that pick and roll with Plumlee early and often. I think the key for this kind of assist, I don't know, splurge that he's been on lately has come with the way he's learned to split the double teams so effectively and calmly. Before, he might have panicked a little bit, as we've seen when the Clippers used to do it or other teams. That was kind of the blueprint to take the Blazers out of their offense was to just trap Dame right as he got across half court and everything would go to hell. He has quickly split that, and then he's making the correct decision right after that. It's like he's playing chess while the other team's playing checkers, and it's beautiful. I'm curious to see. I think Plumlee and he have a really great chemistry together. I would love to see if they keep the core together, how well he'll be able to distribute the ball with more continuity. I mean, there's always that jump if you keep the core together. That second year is always a huge jump. Just look at the Hawks, the Warriors. If we can keep the core together, which, I mean, we have the salary cap to do so, I would like to see the jump between this year and next. Of course, there's little pieces we can add. I want to see the Damian Mason Plumley pick and roll a little bit more because I think it's something we could take advantage of because there's not that many athletic bigs that could keep up with Mace. No, not at all, and I thought we did a great job of actually going inside and not falling too in love with a three-point shot. You know, when you're, you play Houston, it's essentially a three-point shooting contest. They, they jack them up like nobody's business. They shy away from the mid-range shot like it's, like it's the plague. It's either a layup or it's a three-point shot. That's their analytical philosophy, and whether it's right or wrong, that's how they're going to continue to play as long as Daryl Morey is running the show as their general manager. But I found it incredible that the Blazers score more points in the paint, 32-28, against a team that features Dwight Howard, especially going up against Mason Plumlee, and we didn't have our starting uh, power forward. If you're Houston, why are you falling in love so much with that three-point shot? They took 36 attempts, just made seven. Why wouldn't you force-feed it to Dwight and get our bigs in foul trouble? One, we're already down a big. And two, it puts us in the penalty earlier, and that can allow Harden to get to the line, which he does at ease. It seems so easy. Is What's going on there? I think it's definitely the culture of Houston. They're really into analytics. Daryl Morey, when he talks about free agency, he doesn't talk about his current players as people. He thinks of them as assets. So I don't know how his players truly feel about being assets to a team instead of actual players, actual human beings. So I, I think that culture of the Houston Rockets is backfire on them. I don't know what they can do to... I personally think that people are upset with how they're being treated, how the minutes are so randomized. If you, if it's not Dwight and James, your minutes are really in flux. So 
maybe the players are starting to realize, hey, this dude does not care about my best interest or any interest in me at all because he could just trade me like it's nothing. I don't know what they could do. I, I'm actually really happy that they're starting to slip off. Oh, yeah, it makes my heart smile as well, especially after that 2014 playoff series with the Rockets. Would you blow it up if you're Houston? Do you, we asked uh, Big John if a team could win a title with James Harden as the, the leading role. He said yes, uh, by internet, or somebody's internet, so we apologize for the last week's episode, was, was pretty shoddy, so I didn't really have a time to respond. I say no. He doesn't play any defense. He's a ball-dominant guard who pretty much looks to get his. He's, he's great when you can throw that lob to Dwight a little bit, but outside of that, it's really just ISO James and get out of his way. We've seen LeBron James try to win a championship like that. It doesn't work. You have to play as one, five as one, which, which the Warriors are doing right now so beautifully. I don't know if they can win a title with Harden. I, I'm not saying the deadline is when you should move him, but you're looking at Dwight Howard, who's an unrestricted free agent at, um, come July. Ty Lawson's got a year left on his deal. That experiment obviously hasn't worked. They're looking at getting swept by either the Spurs or, or the Warriors. That team is a, a train wreck right now. Would you move a, a piece like H- Howard and see what you can get? I mean, I, they're, they're not getting any younger. They don't have a lot of prospects. Hmm. I think you have to try and move Howard. I think that if you built the perfect team around Harden, you could do it. Like maybe the 2001 Philadelphia 76ers model with a bunch of players that don't have high usage rate. Let Harden just try and go insane. You could I don't know. I don't think you'll win a championship, but I think you'll do well. But I would I would try and see what, what the market has for Dwight cuz he he is a free agent and do you think he's really going to want to stay in Houston? Oh, hell no. He's gone. He's he's gone. He's at the point in his career where he really should. I don't know if it's what he wants, but he should be looking at going to a contender and trying to win a ring. You don't want to be a player who has a fantastic career and just is never able to get over the top. I can't even imagine what guys like Barkley or Malone or Ewing feel like they're easily top 30 players of all time yet they were never able to do it. Dwight has a chance to find a home that could probably get him get him a ring or get close. I mean, he's only been in the finals one time in his career. I don't think they were really even that close last year, even though they made it to the Western Conference Finals. His, his trial with the Lakers was supposed to be a, a championship guarantee. That went south in a, in a big hurry. But I, I, I hope the Rockets, nobody from the Rockets organization listens to this podcast. But if I was Houston, I would hire Tom Thibodeau with a quickness and instill a defensive philosophy into those dudes because he could get that thing turned around. Thankfully, I don't think they're that smart, though. Yeah. I mean, didn't I say that last podcast that Tibbs would be nice? Because I, they, they have some pieces that would be able to form a really nice defensive unit. You can hide one bad defender, usually. But ha- having two, three... That's where you can't really hide it because there's always going to be that matchup that other teams can exploit. If you built around Harden as just straight D and three or D and post, maybe. But I think we've talked enough about the Rockets. Oh, I've got a little bit more. Oh, okay. Go at them. Let them have it. 
Harden and Howard combined for 50 points in, in that game. Houston only scored 79. Great defensive job by the Trailblazers. No other Rocket had more than eight points. But I'm looking at the box score. Howard only takes 10 shots. Guys who took 10 or more shots, not named James Harden, Patrick Beverly, Corey Brewer. Why? Why are they taking more shots than your second best player? That just screams dysfunction and... The Blazers have a great opportunity to feed off of that dysfunction because, like you said, that game against the Rockets on Saturday started a, a I believe we played them three times over the course of 19 days, which is pretty ridiculous. But let's talk about you know, our team a little bit. That is what this podcast is for. And how about Gerald Henderson? Dude's playing he fantastic. He is boosting his value, whether you're going whether your team keep or team trade. Without Alan Crabb, he really stepped up and had a monster night. Uh, 16 points on 5 of 8 shooting, 4 boards. He got to the line 5 times, hit all 5. That is key. Not a lot of our guys can get to the free throw line. So, you know, good on you, Gerald. It really just goes to show you have to be patient when you acquire new players. He was coming off of a, a hip surgery, just trying to get his legs back, get into shape. But he has provided a big boost off of the Blazer bench, and I don't know where we would be without him this, this season. Exactly, and I mean, if you look at his Charlotte Hornet-Henderson numbers, dude has gotten back to that uh, that tier of basketball. And a Henderson that is playing like that has some use for this team, or if we're trying to trade him, has use for a bunch of contenders. So he is really playing himself into a good position next year financially. The influx of cash that's about to come in. So he, he's playing fantastic, though. Two more things I want to touch on about the Rockets before we move on. Big shout out to Mo Harkless, who has been getting the start without Noah Vonley in there. He really set the tone in that game, going two for two from three early on. And finished with uh, 14 points, an impressive six rebounds, shot nearly 50% from the floor in, in 30 minutes of action. He is a player who just needs minutes. And I think if the Portland Trailblazers do make a move at the deadline to give away an asset for a future pick, he's a guy who I think could slide into that ninth man in the Easily. rotation and, and produce. The Blazers are a nine-man rotation team, and they have performed extremely well since they moved to that rotation, giving guys a little bit more time you know, to showcase what they've got out there and to get into a rhythm. So that's a big trend to continue to watch, especially if Noah Vonley's ankle isn't fully healed for these next two games against the Grizzlies or the Rockets. And lastly, huge shout-out to the Blazers' defense. They were extremely active on Saturday. They had 15 steals, six blocks, forced 23 turnovers, for those of you who watch this team through every day, they stick with them thick and thin. That is not the MO of this team forcing turnovers. They were very active and took advantage of a sloppy Houston team. You know, they had Houston down to 33% shooting. Houston shot just 25 of 77. That is a talented team that you're holding to that low. So, you know, a round of applause for our boys in black on Saturday, and hopefully they can continue. Uh, that momentum into the weekend. I'm trying to but, think. Like they've been playing extremely good defense since maybe the Hornet game. I mean, there's not much you can do with the Raptors, but they've been playing really solid defense, being more flexible with how the game is going. 
Maybe it's the Harkless addition to the, the post spot that's giving the Terry the ability to do more creative things, but I, I definitely like what I'm seeing. Yeah, speaking of the Raptors, that was a, a pretty frustrating game. It was a, a 110-103 loss, uh, snapped Portland's five-game winning streak, ended the homestand kind of on a sour note. Uh, the homestand was bookended by losses to the Hawks and the Raptors. Portland went 5-2 and two on that homestand. They actually went 8-3, and three, as we mentioned a few podcasts ago, over that 11-game span, which they had to do. What was a little disheartening was their two losses on the homestand came to the only two teams above 500. Until that game against Houston, Portland only had won a game with a team with a winning record five times. All were at home. So to see them respond back with a victory over the Rockets on the road was was very fantastic. But that, that Raptors game was pretty much a carbon copy of the earlier game against the Phoenix Suns when Brandon Knight and Eric Bledsoe just torched our backcourt. And... To be honest, I was furious with Terry Stotts. I thought his defense took a step back majorly in, in that game against Toronto. They were in the same pick and roll, the same curls, and our bigs just did not hedge. They retreated to the basket, just giving up that mid-range shot. NBA players are too talented. They are not going to miss a wide-open free-throw line jump shot. The one time we actually forced a timeout was with you know 40 seconds left in the game, and we actually trapped the ball handler. That change should have been made in the second quarter at the very least. So very frustrated at Terry Stotts for not making any adjustments and basically saying, Toronto, you're going to get into your sets and do what you want to do and not really show any resistance at all. Yeah, very true. I mean, Kyle Lowry is a bad boy, though. Well, you give him open looks. He's coming off that pick and roll. There's no big in his face. Yeah, he's going to shoot 7 of 10 from 3. That's ridiculous. (laughs) You cannot let... An all-star caliber point guard just have free reign. Same with DeRozan. We should have been doubling. He is a great athlete, a, turning into a really great shooter. But I think passing is probably still the weakest aspect of his game. Do, why, why not double him in multiple ways like we did Boogie Cousins? So that was very frustrating. That was a very winnable game. Portland got the lead uh, down to three. I believe it was 84-81 to 81 at one point. Uh, I was in the stands. The, the arena was rocking. And then we just gave possession after possession after possession away. The one bugaboo for this team is really just the carelessness of the basketball. They need to, they're chasing the playoffs. So they need to start treating every game like the playoffs. And in the playoffs, you have to value the possession. Each possession really does count. And you can say what you want about the officials. I personally thought they were hot garbage, but it wasn't the reason we lost. Mm -hmm. If Portland would have just taken care of the ball, and Lillard probably got going a little bit earlier. I know if you didn't watch the game and you look at the box score, you see 27 points, 11 assists, and 5 rebounds. You're like, that, damn, that boy was good. He had his moments, but he definitely struggled early on and got off to a slower start, as evidenced by his you know 8 of uh, 20 shooting from the field. And then you, you factor in CJ uh, shooting sub-500 as well. I mean, 8 of 18 is nothing to, to scoff, scoff at either, but... Neither player was kind of carrying that blazer banner for Rip City on that night. And when you don't have either player playing their A game and your defense isn't making any adjustments, it's a, usually a recipe for a loss. Yeah. I mean, last year I made up my mind about DeMar DeRozan. I thought he was an unintelligent basketball player. But this year I've, I've changed mine back to someone who's pretty good at this game. 
He used to run a lot of curls and take a lot of bad jumpers. He's really stopped doing the things that annoyed me about him. Yeah, he has to work on his passing, but he's developing into a really nice talent. Oh, he's going to get paid this summer, Paid too. in full. Is he a free agent? I think he has an early termination option, mm-hmm. and I believe his agent is going to be pushing for that opt-out. And that max contract with the new salary cap boom coming this July. Yeah, he, he's making that money. He's definitely earned it with his play, though. I mean, there's going to be... Every person that's... Every player that's under the age of, like, 28 is getting paid. But he's really getting paid. And you know, that's a reason the Raptors had won 11 straight. Uh, I believe now it's 13 out of 14 or some ridiculous number like that. And chasing Cleveland legitimately for the number one seed in the East. You know, they're a very talented team with young all-stars and nice veterans. Portland got caught on a bad shooting night. Toronto was just shooting the shit out of the basketball, and that's just going to happen. I wish I would have seen better defensive adjustments, but, you know, oh well. Life goes on, and just hope the Trailblazers move on from that. But to go back to the first game of the week, the Blazers handled the Bucks 107-95. to Just another example of a team with so much talent on paper not being able to put it together. Uh, Sage, you have seen some trade rumors with Greg Monroe. Oh God! If you're the if you're the Bucks, are you looking to move him? Yeah, I, I think so. You got He is such a bad defensive center that all the positive things he does on offense with his passing, his shooting, his rebounding, negated because of how bad of a defender he is. Zaza established a defensive culture for that team, and now that he's gone and replaced with Monroe, it's kind of bad. I really, really do not want Greg Monroe on this team because we're improving defensively a little bit, but if we had him, we're, we're, we're dropping so fast. Because he, he does not want to play defense. He wants to get his rebounds, score, and get paid, which it's, it, it's not a winning player. I haven't seen him do anything that puts in my mind a winning aspect, a winning player. So I don't want that on the Blazers. Whether it's fair or not, there are certain players throughout the league that we've both grown up watching. A few names come to mind. Sharif Abdurrahim is one. Kevin Love is another. They'll put up stats, but is their team really ending up with a W in that column? Likely not. He's that type of player. At least he has earned that reputation early on in his career. He does a lot of things you really love, passing the basketball. He's got an array of post moves. He's a great defensive rebounder. But like you mentioned, he does leave a lot to desire on the defensive end, and basketball is a two-way sport. There's no way about There's no way to get over that. You have to play defense. If you're scoring 20 but allowing 25, what's really the net result going on? You know what I'm saying? Exactly. Negative. So... I don't want that to happen. If it does happen, no. I'm going to do a rant cast about it. So It does worry me a little bit that Olshay targeted him in free agency. I don't think he would have been a good fit even with Aldridge. At some point, he needs to start getting us some defensive players. Thankfully, we ended up with Aminu and Davis, but I would love to see more of an emphasis on defense. 
that yeah, that definitely that would not be good. But let's let's talk about that game. Alan Crabb, before he went out with let's just call it a sickness against the Rockets, he had 16 points against the Raptors. He had 11 points, four seven from the field in 24 minutes against the Bucks. Really coming into his own. Really, I think not only going to get paid, but some teams going to offer him a starting position. That's, I think, the biggest question mark with Crab. Is he going to be happy coming off the bench? I think he's a perfect sixth man, but you know, some players really want to start. What, what do you think of Crab as a starter, or do you think he would be content getting sixth man minutes in Portland? I don't know this person personally, so I can't say like from watching him on whatever like interviews what he'd be cool with. I mean, selfishly, as a Blazer fan, I want him to be cool with that six-man role. But if he's offered the money and the role for a team that he feels can give it to him, I mean, I don't see the... I, we're not going to give him a role he's not ready for. And then he's not starting over CJ McCollum. So if he gets that big contract, I'm, 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 no. I might... I'd, I'd let him free. Let him be free. Oh, I think the Blazers are going to match any offer. Really? Oh, yeah. He is worth it, especially when you can have a three-guard rotation with Dame, CJ, and Crab. Dame and CJ can handle the ball. All three can play off the ball. And it's really Crab's attention to detail on defense, his wingspan. He really takes pride in his defense. I think it would be incredibly easy for him to just say, I'm going to go out there and shoot threes and get buckets, and I don't give a shit about defense. Mm. He could do that and he would still get paid, probably still be a trailblazer, probably still get the same amount of minutes. But no, he really cares about the defensive end and the floor, and he's turning into one of our best defenders. And the future, I think, is so bright. I know that's really cliche to say, but I'm really... Not trying to get too overhyped on this kid, but I'm stoked on Alan Crabb and what he's doing in really his first minutes as an NBA player. So, if you were the GM, how would you incentivize him to stay in Portland? What are the thing? What are the keywords? What's your elevator pitch to Alan Crabb? Money. For those that don't see, I'm just flashing the money sign to stage. Money talks, winning and winning talks, and money talks. And honestly. It does not matter if you start in the NBA. If you're finishing games, you've got to be happy. And more times than not, he's on the floor in crunch time. He may not be on the floor as the final buzzer goes off, but he's getting big-time fourth-quarter minutes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's got to be happy. He's still a young young buck. I'm sure he's cool with a lot of guys on the team. He's getting shots. I would be surprised if, if we let him go or, or he made a fuss over not starting it was just something I kind of caught my eye when I believe it was Nate Jones who tweeted at Jones on the NBA who tweeted out that Crab is not only a starter on the wing, but going to get paid like one as well. So I just wanted to throw that your way and get your thoughts on that one. But looking at... Is he a restricted the, free agent? Oh yeah, he's restricted. Sure. But looking at the Blazers, their defense has been really good over this stretch. And... I know we could say, yeah, it's been the opponents they played, but talking about strength, each team may have a good record or a bad record or they're mediocre, but each team has a strength. The Rockets was getting points in the paint. Portland outscored them in the paint. 
Portland was able to do the same thing to the Milwaukee Bucks. That's their MO, was getting buckets in the paint. The Blazers outscored them 46-38. to 38. The Bucks are actually the second highest team in the NBA. They get 49 points in the paint. So you, you took 11 points off their total, and that's even with Von Leg going out in the third quarter with his ankle injury. Another thing that's beautiful if you're a Trailblazer fan is the bench production. 44-28 to 28 over Milwaukee. We haven't had this type of a bench probably in 15 years when we had that deep Blazers team. So there is a lot of reasons to be smiling right now if you're a Trailblazer fan. Do you think that the Blazers should continue to run, or is that a game-by-game, I guess, decision by the coach? Because one thing I, I noted in this game was the Blazers were running at every opportunity we had 18 fast break points. Again, that's not the like forcing turnovers, fast break points. That's not what we've come to know from a Terry Stotts coach team. But as much as I'll criticize them for the defense against the Raptors, you have to give him credit for pushing the tempo against the Bucks because either he or his assistant saw something and it really got the Blazers going. We got up to a 27-19 lead in that first quarter. Um, it was another... Another another game where a team thought they could take Lillard out, split the double team. He's very effective. He had four first quarter assists. It just seems like Stotts is he is making those baby steps as a head coach. Mm. I know this is I believe his third time as a, as a head coach, but it's not easy. It's easy to sit here and be me and you as you know armchair coaches and say he should have done this or should have done that. But if you do look back and watch film of these games, he is making some great decisions that's getting this team off to some good starts. Definitely. I think that you the, the Blazers should expect to have a much faster pace. And that doesn't mean we like run all the time. It means making quick, precise cuts and not dilly-dallying with the ball. It's, it's like a ballet of motion. You have to be ready to make movement. That's what you're supposed to do. But, I mean, there's some games that you just have to be flexible. Like, if we have the huge advantage with our bigs, maybe slow it down a little bit. It's all about being flexible, being able to manage uh, what we have. Because we do have talent. It's just oddly placed talent. So, we have to be able to be flexible. That's all I want is flexibility. The last, For the rest of the season, I want to see flexibility of what we're doing. It can't be... The same narrative every game. So let's let's be flexible. And that game, looking back at it, while I never really felt like it was in jeopardy, Portland was only up six going into that fourth quarter. And before the benches emptied, the Trailblazers had shot 10 of 16 in that fourth, held Milwaukee to 5 of 18. Defense wins games. The Blazers won that game with their defense and... You know, kudos to the entire team. I mean, Gerald Henderson was a beast on the glass. He had nine rebounds. Ed Davis did Ed Davis things. Eight points, seven boards in 23 minutes. You know, Farouk got us started. He had, he had a fantastic first quarter. Oh, yeah. Four or five shooting in that first quarter and really got the crowd going, energized. And what, what I'm trying to say with all of this is the Blazers are starting to learn to win with different players and in different ways which I don't think was the case early on when it was just, okay, CJ, you go out and you have a 24-point 
quarter against the Pelicans, and that's going to be the way we win games. I mean, that's how we won games early on. It was either Dame or CJ put on that cape mm-hmm. and, you know, soared to victory. Sometimes. I mean, Sometimes. I mean, I say that, and I look at the box score, and CJ goes, you know, 30 points, uh, over 50% shooting. But there was Got other it. people contributing. That's Yeah, you know, exactly. What do you, you know, CJ had himself a night, though. Oh, definitely. He was... He, Six assists, four rebounds, two steals, two blocks in 33 minutes. I mean, whoo! I mean, just that's most improved player stuff right there. Oh, just without a, a doubt. Just, a, he is getting so, so good. And I was listening to the podcast we recorded with John uh, today again and talking about his, his swagger. And when I first met CJ, I was like, man, this is the nicest dude ever. But then you kind of watch him play. He he turns. He's still a nice guy, but he kind of flips the switch and he just goes into like I'm better than you mode. Not in an arrogant way, but just in a you have to have this type of confidence to be an NBA starter yeah. kind of way. And he really does. He has got a quiet swag about him, and I love it. He and Lillard have just been playing fantastic. He, CJ is going to be in the skills challenge during All-Star Weekend. Unfortunately, he is the only Blazer represented in Toronto next week. Does that kind of bum you out as a Blazer fan? Because to me, even though we can say, oh, the All-Star Weekend, it sucks, it's boring. I want to see my guys participate. It oh, was without awesome a when doubt. Without Dame a doubt. did all five events. Without a doubt. It's always good for a small market team like the Blazers to be featured in events. So, of course, I was bummed out to see that CJ was the only dude that was participating in All-Star Weekend. But it is what it is. NBA is a popularity contest. And, I mean, I said this off record, but I'll say it on. Like, if you put a gun to my head, Damien's more deserving of the All-Star bid than Anthony Davis. Even though I'm probably one of the biggest AD fans in the world. I still think Dame deserves it because of a multitude of ways, but there's still there's players that were picked ahead of him that have more social currency in the NBA than Damian. So I think that's the reason that he wasn't in. It was because of the politics of the All-Star game, not because of his performance, which was fantastic throughout this year. Yeah, and you know, if we're talking players he should have made, you got to add DeMarcus Cousins to that list now because the Kings are starting to look like that squad that's going to blow up like everybody predicted. You know, things were going fine, you know, fortunately for him, right when the coaches were voting, but they've really fallen off. I know he puts up, you know, great numbers, but it's not like they're losing to the Warriors every night. They're, they're losing to teams they probably should beat. Uh, same goes for the Pelicans. I have no clue how you lose to the Lakers again. Yo, you know I was upset about that. Like, my te- I wrote him a book of mean things that I want to say to the Pelicans brass. So, yeah, I mean, it's social currency, though. Boogie, at that time, in the voting process, was really doing his thing. Not saying that Damian wasn't, but he was on NBA TV getting, like, some outrageous numbers. During the voting process, that game against Charlotte was there. So they got a chance to think of it, and People are prisoners of the moment. If Boogie's putting up 54, 10, fouling out all of the bigs, yeah, we're going to put that in our heads. Like, this dude's doing this all the time, which he isn't. And then he comes to Portland and gets 
shut down by Myers and Mace. Bro, when Myers is playing that, like, he is so matchup dependent for defense. Boogie, Dwight, those dudes are perfect players for him to defend. It kind of sucks that the game's changed, but there's always going to be, if you go down the list of the top teams, there's always that big guy Myers could potentially defend. Like Bogut, DeAndre, Tim Duncan. I mean, there's always someone that could be a potential positive defensive matchup. And let's go back to All-Star Weekend just a bit. I know you've got AD to watch, but... You know, are you planning on, on tuning in to the, all of the weekend's festivities? I don't think I've missed one in, like, 13-plus years. So I'm, I'm going to watch. But my excitement level has gone down immensely. Yeah, as a Blazer fan, I'm, I'll probably watch the Skills Challenge. And pro- probably will watch the dunk and three-point just so I can bitch about it on Twitter and reminisce about what old times used to be like because I'm nostalgic like that and I can be an old man get off my lawn type of guy uh hashtag sometimes dad, dad swag hashtag dad swag and that <laughs> definitely is one of those that really that's a button push that button I'm gonna go off about the all-star game in Saturday night what it used to be and what it could be but they continue to tinker with it and screw up the rules but let's look back on some fonder memories. What are some of the best All-Star Saturday Night memories that you can remember? My favorite one was the Vince Carter and the Steve Francis Tracy McGrady dunk contest. That one sticks out in my mind more than, you know, the Kobe as a rookie doing the dunk contest or something. I Okay, shouldn't have mentioned that one to, on a Blazers podcast, but it was memorable at that time. Okay, it wasn't, apparently. I shouldn't be looking at Dustin while I'm trying to talk, but that Vince Carter dunk contest was, like, such next-level shit. It was such next-level shit, my 11- or 12-year-old mind was not ready to comprehend it. That was my favorite dunk contest that I can remember. Of course, there's Dominique Jordan, but I wasn't even considered a thought then. So... That Vince Carter one was the one that I focused all of my energy. True story. I passed on going to my freshman year Valentine's dance to watch All-Star Saturday Night in 2000. That was the Vince Carter just show that you talked about. And I think I made the right decision. That was the best dunk contest I had ever seen. Unfortunately, I was just a wee lad when Drexler and Kersey and Meek and Jordan were putting on shows year after year. So for me, that was my Jordan versus Neek. Instead, it was just Vince Carter dunking, and nobody else was even close. In a normal year, Franchise and T-Mac would have won running away, but Vince put on a show for the ages. I'll never forget. He does that dunk, looks at the camera, crosses his neck. It's over, and it was over. And if Twitter were alive back then it would have been just going insane mm-hmm. because people thought Twitter went nuts when, when Zach Levine did his thing last year. And to give him credit, it was pretty nice. Nothing compared to what I saw from Vince. So seeing him in the dunk contest is my favorite all-star memory. I loved seeing Lillard do the five events in 2014. And for whatever reason, I remember being at my grandma's house. She lived up in Washington 
And I saw Cedric Zavalos do the dunk in 92. I believe the All-Star game was held in Orlando. And he put the blindfold Mm -hmm. over his eyes. And he did that dunk from the free throw line. That was really the first All-Star memory I have. I wish I would have remembered the Blazers in 91. They had uh, Drexler and Porter and Ainge all participate in the three-point shootout, which just is unreal. You would never have guessed three Blazers performed there or even in the All-Star game that year when they had Duck, TP, and Clyde as All-Stars. But um, So I would say that was my favorite All-Star weekend. Favorite All-Star game, anytime Dame's in it, but also Brandon's first year in uh, NOLA. If only he would have connected on that alley-oop from Chris Paul off the backboard. Either way, it made for a dope photo, and I really thought he was a dark horse for the MVP that year. He played the most minutes. He had a lot of points. Really proud to watch him. Anything stand out for you, All-Star Game? <laughs> oh, I got to ask. Did you apologize to your to the, the, the lovely lady that you stood up? Oh, I didn't stood up anybody. I made a personal decision. That I wasn't oh. going to take out anybody's companionship. Oh, okay. Try to go to the dance. No, I would never stand up. We probably would have went back to my parents' house and watched All-Star Weekend if I would have had a date. That's just how it was going to go down. Okay, good. Then we could have probably went to you know, Elmer's or Pop's Branding Iron afterwards for some pie. So... In case of any of my ex-girlfriends that I happen to stand up, stand up for prom or, uh, shoot, what's it called? Homecoming are listening. I apologize immensely, and I was selfish. I've stood up many a date on those nights. I'm a, I was a dick. I was an asshole. So I apologize to any of you that happen to be listening, and through the gift of social media, you might. So I apologize. You know who you are. <clears throat> I think the the All-Star game that sticks out to me the most was that 2001 Allen Iverson performance where he got the MVP. I really, really liked Allen Iverson. Uh, for the Night of the Notables in elementary, I did my presentation on Allen Iverson. So I was really Team Iverson in 2000-2001. So that, might, that, that was my most memorable, most visible memory outside of blazers i really like stefan marbury too and i know they teamed up and mm. actually tape recorded that game and it turned out to be one of the classic all-star games and just going through the rolodex in my mind of all-star games i can't believe i'm forgetting this but clyde drexler in 92 that has to be my favorite all-star memory i know magic came back and he did magic things but damn it drexler should have won mvp that year uh, I'm not really bitter about it. It's just a, a, an award. Magic had a fantastic game, and it was it was good for the game that he got to go out there and you know do his thing. Uh, a lot of the players were gracious enough just to you know let him out of the spotlight one one last time, and that's you know the way it should be. But Drexler put on a show in that All Star game. How old Funny were you? Story, uh, seven. Because I was one, so I that All Star game did not exist in my faculty. yeah. Well, uh, I don't know how I knew about this, but apparently David Robinson and Clyde Drexler, both of their team warm-up jackets didn't get packed with them, so they ended up wearing Orlando Magic warm-ups, and I don't know why, but as a seven-year-old who was obsessed with Clyde Drexler and the Blazers, I was like, oh my god, that just happened. (laughs) And then he goes on to put on the performance of of an all-star lifetime in my mind. So that's easily, that's going to be tough to top. This year, I'll probably bow out 
Um, it's going to be on a Sunday night. Probably catch up on the DVR or something. I, I don't want to watch the Kobe Fest that I know it's going to turn out to be. So those are my all-star plans. Hopefully CJ can hold it down in the skills competition just like Dame did it two years ago. Another hot topic that has been making its way around the interwebs, and that is a report that Mark Stein, or excuse me, Mark Spears of Yahoo Sports has brought up that Kevin Durant would seriously consider joining the Golden State Warriors, and they would be the front runner if he were to leave the Oklahoma City Thunder. I've had this debate with, not even a debate, we were just talking about it with one of my coworkers at lunch, and I, I posed the question to him, and I said, if the Warriors breeze through the playoffs like they did last year, why would you even mess up anything and, and try to get Kevin Durant? As crazy as I know that sounds. Continuity is a mother. Continuity, chemistry. Um, did you watch that game last night between the Thunder and the Warriors? No, I didn't. So I tuned into that game. I was actually really psyched for it, and it, and it lived up to the billing. But you look at the way Golden State gets buckets versus the way the Thunder mm-hmm. scores points. It's night and day. The Thunder are going to get it just based off of Russ and, and KD creating and pulling up and just going one-on-one. The Warriors play beautiful, beautiful team basketball. They are always one step ahead of their opponents, always playing unselfish, not trying to force anything, always looking for a better option for their teammates. And I think they got a little you know, lackadaisical towards the end because uh, Oklahoma City made a run. But when they needed to, I believe the game was tied. And Barnes ended up with a three, but it ended up off of four passes to get him a wide-open three at the top of the key. And that was just vintage Golden State basketball these past couple years. And I was reading, I think, on ESPN, the no, it might have been Yahoo, one of the two, how they would have to get KD. And it was, you know, renouncing Harrison Barnes, not signing him, probably finding a new home for Iguodala and Bogut. And I'm thinking, that yeah. That breaks up a lot of their what they do. Their bench is one of the main reasons they're so they're so fantastic. You can bring a guy like Iguodala and Livingston off the bench. I mean, that's just unreal. And Barnes knows his role, and it just it still seems crazy to me that I'm, I'm telling myself and the listeners that I don't know if it'd be the best idea to bring Durant and you know to that team because yeah, you've won. Let's say you've already won two two chips. The pressure you're going to put on yourself to win with Kevin Durant is going to be harder than it would to to uh, three P. Mm-hmm. Exactly, and you have to you have to put him in to your philosophy and what you're trying to do, and he may or may not fit. I wouldn't risk it. as As much as it'd be scary to play like on paper or to play in two K sixteen roles and. Like, what the Warriors are doing is just, I wouldn't mess with that delicate balance of eliteness. And besides, do they really need another player to, like, they're, they're, they've lost four games. They're doing just fine. They don't need this. They're and, on pace to have the greatest regular season in NBA history. Exactly. You don't need it, but it's an interesting thing to talk about. But I'm, I think it's a great insurance policy if it does happen because we do know Steph has ankle issues um, knock on wood I do not want to see him get hurt but I think Thompson has been injured off and on not very seriously but if one of those two were to go down you would have Durant and either Thompson and Durant or Curry and Durant 
probably could carry you either to a title or deep into the playoffs. So it's a fantastic insurance policy. But as a fan of the game, the Warriors are already running away with the league. I wouldn't want to see it happen because you would almost have to sacrifice the next five or six years and just say, what are we doing here? If, if you're a fan of any other team, are you seriously going to challenge that team? It's how I felt when LeBron and Bosch teamed up with Wade in Miami and they went to the finals four straight times winning two. It just, it got so, I was just over it. I don't want to see these guys feeling like they have to team up and create a super team just to, to win. You know, back in the day, you don't join up with them. You start your team and mm. you try to beat them. Exactly. And that's kind of, that's my school. That's where I come from as an NBA fan. And that's what I want to see. Not these guys, you know, teaming up to be buddy-buddy in this free agency era. Um, yeah, you might say I'm salty or, or have sour grapes, but I think if you really look at it yourself, you're not going to want to see the Warriors with, with Durant. They, they probably would be better. Um, or at the, the very worst, they would still be where they're at right now, which is amazing. And they have to have more insurance. So I, I really hope it doesn't happen. I think for the good of the Western Conference, it would be best if he stayed in Oklahoma City. Or, or if he wanted to come to Portland, that'd be, that'd be pretty rad too. <laughs> yep, I mean, we have cap space and good eats. I get it. Nike's here. Yep. Uh, man, I, I think it's an interesting thing, but continuity is a mother to deal with, so I, I wouldn't do it. But it, it, it's something to talk about. So we <laughs> talked about Durant possibly joining Oklahoma City. The Rockets entertaining the idea of trading Dwight Howard. Maybe the most surprising bit of news I've heard over this past week are the Blake Griffin trade rumors that the Clippers are really ready to move on. If I'm the Clippers, though, I don't think I move Blake. I try to give it one final shot with this core. At the deadline, you never get full maximum value. You're always giving a, a, a discount for oh, a team. And so unless you're getting an unprotected pick that could turn into uh, you know, Ben Simmons or something like that, that's when a trade like that could be beneficial. But again, you're still rolling the dice. It could end up four or six. I mean, you just, you just don't know with the NBA lottery. And you're essentially throwing in the towel on this season, too, if you're the Clippers. Because they have no ch- – I don't care what the record is without Blake Griffin. They have no chance at winning a title with, with him on the sidelines. But do they have a chance at winning the title with him, though? I think they have a chance. It's a small chance. It's a very small chance. We did not get to see them play the Warriors last year, and I felt like the Spurs and the Clippers gave them the biggest fits. I don't know why they they decided to choke in that game six against the Rockets, but they had them beat, and that would have set up a series. The two games they played the Warriors this year have been very close. Golden State has taken both, and again, I wouldn't bet on the Clippers beating Golden State, but... They're a team that could give them fits, and on paper, they're still a top-five team in this league. It's really the four out west and Cleveland. You know, We spoke on Toronto how well they're doing. They're not in the picture. It's Cleveland and those top four seeds out west that really have a chance at winning a title. And you've come this far with that core. I don't see why you would break it up unless a deal sets you up so right for the future and also gives you a chance to win now because Chris Paul's not getting any older or any younger. Excuse me. (laughs) Paul Pierce, I mean, they've got an aging team. You know, they gave up a first-round pick for Doc Rivers. 
They went out and re-signed DeAndre. I mean, they're making moves that they thought would bring them closer to a championship. Unless things are really that weird in the locker room, I would keep Blake Griffin. I don't know what you could realistically get for him that would make you say, yeah, that's a deal that we have to make. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, like I'm friends with people that are Denver fans, and looking at the potential trades, it's very interesting. Um, but... But what does Denver have if you're the Clippers that you say, yes, let's do that trade? I don't think they're a good trade partner. I think there's, I mean, for the Clippers, they might be. Uh, a Dano, uh, Kenneth, Darton, Jokic trade, I would do. You don't watch them enough? I'm giving Sage the biggest stink face I right know now. you are. And I, I, you know what? I've looked at you and pushed through it. <laughs> Gallo does nothing for me. Fareed is a shell of his former self. I mean, I've Von Lay completely shut him down in the games we played this year. Yeah, Jokic is a nice piece, but he's a center. They have a center in DeAndre Jordan. And Will Barton would be a, a nice piece. These are nice pieces, so not great pieces. Blake Griffin is an elite piece. Yeah. You need more. I, I don't think you trade in a Ferrari for four Toyotas. But we don't know how weird that locker room is. I mean, dude did punch. He did but punch I'm a saying, team employee. But what, what I'm saying, though, is I've seen the Blazers make trades like this, too. We traded Rashid Wallace for Sharif Abdurrahim and Theo Ratliff. At the time, I tried to convince myself, yeah, that's a decent trade. My grandpa said, you do not trade a Ferrari for two you know, Mustangs or whatever. And I was like, are you sure, Grandpa? And he was like, yeah, you do not make that trade. You never give up the best player in the deal. Or f- and by God, he was right. Reef did nothing for us. Theo Ratliff had a decent second half of that season, completely fell off the map. Sheed goes on to win a championship with Detroit, gets him to the finals again, and we sold him way too low. You never sell low. You always sell high. You buy low. I think it would be a big mistake for the Clippers. Oh, I mean, are we really trying for the best thing for the Clippers? Nah. I'm just talking about this from a, a basketball point of view and what I would do. It, it has to be the right trade, and there's definitely factors that we don't know that could incentivize it one way or another. But if the right trade game, I'd be fine with it. I think the Clippers put together what the Hornets had with Chris Ball, and that didn't make it to the second round. I don't think this team will. Like, I think they'll make it to the second round. Or thir- the third round, excuse me. Like, Blake Griffin's better than David West, but I think Tyson Chandler's much better than DeAndre Jordan. It, it seems yeah, like it's the same... It's it's a, yeah. But it's like the same thing that they did with the Hornets, and it didn't work then. I don't think it'll work now. Maybe trying something with more balance, with more ball handlers. Again, they don't have that second dude. It, it, if they can get a trade where they have a lot of talent coming in that happens to be young, it, All I mean, right. that's why we don't work in the uh, front office. It's like, eh. Or maybe we should. So a team will just have mad players that I like. Yeah, we'll have Tobias Harris and Chris Middleton and Jeremy Grant and... Jokic and whatever other Ryan 3D players that you feel like you want to add. Just You'd have a team just full of 3D players. Yeah. We'll score 60 but only allow 55 and kick ass. <laughs> you'd probably allow 85 be the best defense, but yeah, you'd probably be lucky to get 60. But that's enough Clipper talk. The Blazers have a two-game week before they head into the All-Star break. 
They end the their small two-game road trip in Memphis tomorrow night, and then they followed up against the Rockets again on Wednesday. That The Wednesday game is an ESPN 7.30 tip. But let's talk about this Memphis game. This is the fourth and final meeting. Uh, we've been over this before. The Blazers won 115-96 to on the 5th of November in Portland. Lillard had 27. Portland had a heartbreaking one-point loss in Memphis just eight days later where uh, Powell, or Mark Gasol had 31 points. Zach had that tip. game-winning tip-in right right after Al Aminu hit the go-ahead three. And then in Lillard's first game back from his uh, plantar fasciitis, uh, Memphis really handled us, 91-78 in Portland on the 4th of January. Zebo had 26-18 and 18 off the bench in that contest. And that's really what Portland needs to look at when they're, they're playing the Memphis Grizzlies. We talked about this on the podcast. Portland went small in that game, got beat up. They must go big, and it might be tough if Von Lake can't play because you're down, you're already down a power forward, you're having to start Mo Harkless, but they cannot go small during key stretches of that game. Uh, Memphis, they out-rebounded us 17-7 to on the offensive glass. They had 17 offensive boards. They only averaged 10, that's 20th. You know, we're the team that should be getting the offensive boards because we averaged 12. That's third best. So it was just a complete, you know, flip of the script. And Memphis just killed us inside. We could not get a stop. It's going to be tough because the Grizzlies just lost an overtime game to the Mavericks at home. They are playing pretty good basketball right now. They're 30 and 21, 8 and 2 in their last 10. The Grindhouse is still a tough place to play. Uh, what are you looking for in terms of that game, Sage? Um, I, I I agree that we have to go big when the matchups dictate that we go big. Like, because Mo Harkless is not handling Zebo. I don't remember their rotations off the top of my head now. Is Zebo actually starting? I don't know. I mean, we'll find out. I mean, we'll find out that day. But it, like, we know who we have to defend on that team. It's Conley. Zebo Gasol. That's what it's been for the last few years. I is it time for them to start trading away assets? Because they're not winning a chip. They're not winning a chip, but and, they're also firmly in. Tra- they they. If you could look at the the standings today and go to Vegas and bet money on who is going to finish one through eight, and you had to put slot them in order outside of you know. Golden State 1, San Antonio 2. I think Memphis at 5 is the biggest lock. They're not good enough to get to that 4, but there's no way any other team is going to catch them. So they're in what they probably think is a good spot. They are a good matchup for the Clippers. They've had some battles over the course of the years. And, you know, I always remember Neil Olshay telling uh, telling us this uh, during a, a team meeting when I was with the Trailblazers. Show off. And he said, you know, if you can get to the second round of the playoffs – you're in the Elite Eight. You, you're one of eight teams left to play. And that's really where you want to be because that really feels like you have a shot at winning it all. We can all sit here and say there's no way they're going to win it all. And I would likely say that is correct. But if you can get to the second round of the playoffs, that's still a damn good season. And, Without a doubt. And unless a team's going to offer you a bunch of stuff for Mike Conley, he's the only player you have to worry about. He's pretty loyal to Memphis. And he's a free you agent, know, you, though. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So that's why I'm not mentioning Gasol or Randolph because they've been locked up for a little while, Gasol signing that deal last offseason. But Conley, you'd have to think he would come back if they made it to the second round. 
personally, I would look at getting a little bit younger. But, you know, they're they're playing better basketball over the course of of the season. They had that rough start. I just think they're in that weird spot right now where they're really too good to be too bad and, Mm. you know, too bad to be too good. But do you see see it where they just start getting mediocre and more mediocre throughout the years? Or do you think they'll stay consistently five through seven for the next year? I mean, it really really all depends on their management because – Mark Gasol should be good enough to keep you in, in the playoffs. Their, their system should be good enough to keep them in the playoffs. You know, Mike Conley, he's really only, what, 27, 28 years old. So he still has quite a bit of basketball left. I know he's, he's had um, injuries that he's battled through throughout the course of his year. Zach still feels like he could play two to three more years at this level just because he doesn't rely on his athleticism. What they need to do is they need to go out and find guys like Portland did. If, if the Grizzlies would have got Ed Davis and Al Farouk Aminu, They'd be in much better shape. So or a shooter. Exactly. It's it's their ownership. Hire, hire me. I know nothing but the three players who are six eight, six nine. <laughs> you know, they just don't have the the role players to go with, with their big three. So I think of of course, you know, Father Time is undefeated, so they're gonna continue to slowly but surely get worse as the years go on. But I think that's a ways ways off especially as we're waiting for teams like Portland and the Jazz and the Timberwolves and Nuggets to, you know, make those those leaps to get to get uh more competitive, more consistent. You know, I think that'll probably match up in a couple of years, but for now they're they're firmly entrenched in what they do. But the key to beating Memphis, I think is you've got to make it a higher paced game. You've really got to score on them. They're only 9 and 14 when they allow 100 plus points. And the Blazers, they shoot 47% in wins. So if, if Portland can just take care of the ball and not try to go isolation, that's what bogged them down in that game in Portland. Also, it was working Lillard back into the rotation. that We had been rolling. I mean, uh, CJ was taking all of the shots, and now you have another guy coming in. It, it, that had a big factor in that game going sideways. So I, I think this game is going to be more closer to those first two games where it was either a big Blazer win or a hotly contested game. Mm-hmm. I mean, for game three, you always have, like, redis- like, redistributing the roles is a huge thing. So you don't you can't really take anything from that loss. But I think that this game is going to be a humongous Myers-Leonard game. This is the matchup. This is the matchup that we think is a positive one for him. So I... I, I Visualize him getting major minutes, contributing, frustrating those bigs. And this is where you get to see him shine. This is where you get to convince yourself, hey, this is a guy that's going to be the future, or he'll have trade value, or something like that. This is a game where we can showcase his abilities, either to help us win or for a potential team. And what I'm really looking at is how this Blazer team matures and progresses from a mental point of view, they, it's going to be such a different game than Houston. This this Memphis game is sandwiched in between two contests against the Rockets. And when you play the Rockets, it's an up-and-down three-point shooting contest. You know, Houston attempts over 31 threes. That is by far the most in the entire NBA. You've got to, you know, do a 180 when you're playing the Grizzlies because they're not going to just, you know, wheel and deal from downtown. They only attempt uh, 17.6 triples a night, which is the fourth fewest in the league. They definitely play at a slower pace. So 
Portland needs to adjust and adapt to that and make Houston play at their own pace. That's what I'm going to be looking for, especially with a young team. Can they understand that right off the bat? That Okay, this isn't going to be like the Rockets. It's, it's a different style of game. And if they can do that, I think they'll be in good shape. Uh, Sage, who is your X factor in this one? I'm going Myers Leonard. I'm really <coughs> – but I think Myers Leonard is – it's a positive matchup. He has to shine in order to give us a really good chance. So I'm going Myers Leonard. I think two things. One, bench points. Myers is one. We got to get a lot again from, from Gerald Henderson and Alan Crabb if he's playing. Two – turnovers possessions are at a premium when you play the memphis grizzlies portland had 21 turnovers in that game against houston uh we had 22 in that one point loss against the grizzlies and we had 21 in that last game against memphis however when we when we beat the grizzlies early on in the season we only had eight Mm. and memphis does a great job of forcing turnovers they forced 16.4 which is fifth best in the league Portland cannot get sloppy with this basketball. They need to make every possession count because Memphis shortens the game. They eat up a lot of clock on offense. They make you work for it on defense. Possessions, they're not going to be up and there's not going to be 90 plus field goal attempts in this game. So Portland can't just, you know, run down, hoist a three or try to make a pass that doesn't have a lot of margin for error on the break. They have to really play smart, take calculated risks and run when the opportunity presents itself. I think if they do that and they can keep turnovers to probably 12 to 13, and I think the magic number for threes, they got to hit 12. They need to open that court, and that's where Myers Leonard comes in. If they can open it up, it'll let CJ and Dame go to work. I think this is a big CJ game. He did it all the time in that, in the, that postseason series, even when Tony Allen was on him. CJ is going to have a big night. I just have a good feeling about this game, especially after that Rocket win. I like the Blazers in an upset. I think they're going to pull it out 102 to 99. What do you think, buddy? I think that the, the, the Blazers will definitely get the dub. Um, question. How do you feel about the Dame penetrations? He either gets hammered or not, but he falls down. Like, do you want him to keep attacking the basket if he's going to flop? Or there's people argue, like, uh, being upset about his driving to the hoop. I am all for it because of the potential Kobe assists, but how do you feel about his attacking the basket? Yeah, I, de- I don't think he's attacking the basket with the intention of falling on the ground. I th- think he's genuinely upset that he is disrespected by the officials. As one of the, the top 15 players in this league, he's probably at the top of the list of not getting the superstar calls or even the benefit of the doubt. And it's pretty frustrating. I don't know where that came from, whether it's just playing for the Portland Trailblazers or, or what, but he definitely doesn't get the calls that he should. But if he can get to the hoop, you like that more than you know a contested pull-up three or really almost a lot of other players shooting. I mean, he's doing it with, with good intentions. Like you said, there's the Kobe assist, there's getting bigs in foul trouble, getting to the line. Some nights he is going to get that call, and you definitely want to see him with his foot on, foot on the gas pedal. And all it takes is for him to make a couple layups. Then you've got that, that help side defense coming, which is going to leave that man wide open. And he's been on an assist tear lately. He's mm. going to find them for the for the bucket. Yeah, I think he's definitely the, the, the superstar, the really good player that gets abused the most without calls. 
like, in my biased eyes, the only person I think gets beat up as much or more is Ryan Anderson. But I get it. The white, like, he gets beat up a lot. But Damien is a superstar and he gets beat up a lot. So there's something wrong with that. I, I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand it. Word to Big L, but it, it, it's definitely something that I've noticed that he gets blasted in midair way more than Harden or anyone like that, and doesn't get the call. So it kind of irritates me because I don't, I don't have a perfect explanation for it. But Houston you know, game. What's that? And we're moving on to the Houston game. Yeah, you know, let's talk about this Rocket game as the Blazers go into the All-Star break. It's going to be interesting because it's almost like a mini playoff. We've mentioned it's three times in 19 days these two teams battle each other. It's also going to be intriguing to watch because it is the final game before Mm All-Star. Will the players have their minds on, you know, a nice little vacation? It is the dog days of the NBA season. It's a grind. Players definitely want to take their minds off of basketball. You know, spend time with their family, their loved ones, go somewhere tropical. Can they just lock in for 48 minutes and focus on the task at hand of trying to catch a team that's above them in the standings? Mm. And I think this would be a monumental victory if you could take it to the Rockets again. And like we mentioned, you know, feed off of, of, of them just, I don't know, they're just... What's another word for dumpster fire? Because a tire, they're just a hot mess. Just feed off of that. What Portland needs to do when this game is the foul line. They've done a pretty good job of containing the Rockets. You will never keep them off the foul line. In that first matchup, uh, Portland lost in overtime. We all know. Harden had 45. Brewer had the prayer. But they put up 35 free throw attempts. In Saturday's matchup, they had 30. Uh, they, they lead the league in free throw attempts at 29.2, so a little over their average. I think if you could just keep them even at 26 or 25, that, that, is, that would be a huge win for the Trailblazers because that's really what got them back into that game. Nobody else was making shots. It was just hard in getting to that free throw line. Mm-hmm. I think that as the Blazers and Rockets play, it's going to get chippier and chippier because you see these players more often. And that's Myers Leonard's game right there. He gets chippy. Did you see how he came to uh, Dame's rescue when uh, Beverly started getting in his grill? He kind of yeah. stepped in. Do you want some of this? So I've been a critic of Myers. I'm the first one to admit that. But I do love seeing that if he wants to be a, a badass or an enforcer, a guy you hate to play against, more power to you because that's what we need. And what we also need to do is make Houston play defense. Mm-hmm. They allow 46% shooting from their opposition. That's fifth worst. They allow over 36% shooting from the three, eighth worst. I was watching that game on Saturday, and we were getting every single corner three that we wanted. Mm-hmm. We didn't even shoot a great percentage from three, and we still you know, were running away from that game. So if Portland gets hot from three, this one could turn into another route in a big hurry. You know, we only shot 11 for 35 from deep, and a lot of those three-point looks were open. So, I, I remember watching this team, and when we competed, like, I, I know we compete now, but when we were solidly in the fourth or third seed, we liked to chill on these games. I, I remember a, a New Orleans Hornets blazer game where the Hornets were just so overmatched the game before, but 
would they, they took advantage of that. So do you think there's any way in hell that the Rockets just take us lightly because of a multitude of reasons, the culture, the star players aren't the most focused? I think that this is a potential for another ass-kicking. I could see it going one of two ways. I could see, you know, us being the ass kickers, and I could see us being the ass kickies. Oh, really? Well, we would receive the ass kick? Houston's a weird team. You know, they had those couple of nice wins when they reacquired Josh Smith. You know, maybe getting their, their, their butt kicked by us in their own gym woke them up. I really hope it didn't, but... One more ass kick would be cool, though. It would be fantastic. I think we'll really find out within the first 12 minutes. Oh, without a doubt. Portland needs to feed off of the home crowd. Houston is a new rival for us and our fans. We all remember that awesome playoff series in 2014. We don't like Harden. We don't like Howard. We don't like Beverly. We don't like a lot of their players. I think the Blazers will come to play. Houston, thinking of it, I guess... With common sense from a normal point of view, but that's they, they don't hard, do that <laughs> exactly. It's hard to imagine them taking us lightly, you know, since we're if they're looking at the standings. But that locker room is so messed up; you don't know. They might be thinking about All Star break. If I had to put money on what teams thinking about their All Star weekend more, Portland or Houston, all it, of it would go to Houston. Yeah, like we we are not solidly in any position. We need to scrap and fight and be hungry for whatever. So we are not in the position to take any team lightly. I know we goofed a few times, but for the rest of the year, we have to do be on our game 100%. I've used so, the Royal Dwee a lot in that sense. So what is your X factor for this final game before the All-Star break? I think... If the Rockets are motivated or not is one, and I think it, I'm going to go with our bigs. We have to we have to crash the boards and try not to get in foul trouble. So those are my two X factors. What about you? I mean, when you play the Rockets, there's just so many things that go through your mind. You know, bench bench points. We did a fantastic job on Saturday. Paint points. We actually won that. I think a couple of things will will be key. Trevor Ariza is one. I think he only shot two of eight against us on Saturday. Very non-factor. But he is a player who could have a big night, especially from that corner three. Portland needs to continue to just make make If Howard and Harden want to score 90% of Houston's offense, you know, let them. As long as you keep those role players quiet and you cannot let, you know, as long as James Harden is offered 50 or something like that, if keep them, keep the score low for them. That is one. Ariza is a guy I think might have a big night. Two, I don't know if Portland can win with such a low score like they did in on Saturday. They scored under 100. They looked well on their way to over 100, but they kind of got a little stagnant in that late third quarter. So I think if they can score, 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 get that, get that over 100 because Houston allows 100, over 106 points per game. That's third worst in the league. And then force first, first a few turnovers. Um, they're fourth worst at taking care of the ball. Over 16 turnovers per game. Play the passing lanes, get out, get on the break, get some dunks, get the crowd behind you, and let that snowball effect, you know, go go into play. 
I, I really like the Blazers in this game. I think they're going to finish up with a big three-game winning streak going into the break. I, I think it's going to be close. I don't think it'll be a, a butt-kicking, but I think the Blazers probably win 107 to 103. Oh, I, I'm, go, I'm going uh, Blazers win as well. Do we you know, that, f- would, that would be huge. That would be 27 and 27 going into the break. And I've looked at the schedule afterwards. There's another day, another podcast of that, but needless to say, it's not pretty. So the Blazers, if they are serious about not only making the playoffs, but not being that sacrificial lamb to the Warriors, they need these next two games. Mm-hmm. So do we have a fan question? It is mail time. And to wrap up this podcast, we do have two fan questions. Huzzah. Let, let me log into the, this Twitter account right quick and let's see what we got What we got going. <laughs> All right. First question from TBPup22, also known as Larry. He wants to know, with Hendo playing better, is this upping his trade value or do you keep him to make a run at a number six or eight playoff spot? I think Neil has to have a conversation with him about what his plans are. Because this is... In my head, I always assumed that he would be traded at the deadline. But I didn't think that he would be playing at this level of Henderson yet. Because it takes a while to work your way back in it. But the way he's playing, it really... It really... It's a definite conversation of what what we want in the future. It, it can't be a short-term thing. It has to be. I agree. I would have a conversation with this agent, and whether the agent wants to answer the questions or not, you have to say, you know, what are your, what are your uh, client's plans for the summer? Is he liking Portland? What's the type of value that you're seeking? Because you've got to remember that Mo Harkless, Tim Frazier – Myers Leonard and Alan Crabb are all free agents. A lot of those restricted. And then you throw in Gerald Henderson. Do you really want to spend over $30 million on Henderson, Leonard, and Crabb? I don't know if I'm Neil Olshay. Portland, as good of a feel-good story as they've been this year, they're still a few pieces away from really contending or even getting home court advantage. I, I don't know how much better Henderson makes us. I'm loving the way he's playing right now. He has played like I thought Aaron Aflalo would play for us when we when we acquired him from Denver at the deadline last year. And I wouldn't be as upset if we didn't move him as I would have been early season. Oh, early. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. I, I was 100% on the trade wagon, but he's played fantastic. He can get up. He rebounds well. His mid-range jumper is just wet. But I'm looking for, towards the future, too. If he can net us something. I think he's... Sorry. I think you have to get a first-round pick out of him the way he's playing right now. Scouts are at the games. They see what he's giving. He could, he is easily a starting shooting guard in this league. He would be fantastic for a team like Oklahoma City. And if the Blazers make the playoffs, they don't get that pick. So you have to have another one in your back pocket if you're Neil O'Shea. And bonus, I think Mo Harkless would be able to produce not as well, but probably comparable to what Henderson is doing right now. In a different way. If, but yes, yes, but given given that given those minutes in that nine man rotation, I think it was really the nine man rotation that opened my eyes to say, okay, if we move Myers or Henderson, somebody else is going to step up and do really well given those minutes. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I, 
it, it's going to be an interesting deadline just to see how active the Blazers are. It could be, it could be phones are ringing off the hook and we're trading this and that, or it could be very boring. So, and we've got a final question from Superfan Kim at Kim Thrasher Eleven. She wants to know what is the biggest takeaway from the Houston game. Also, how can we continue that to beat Memphis? I think it's being able to close out on players, not getting lazy on defense. And being smart, that's the takeaways. It's just contesting. It's just, That's all we have to do is contest. The percentages go down so much. The biggest takeaway for me was how easy it was. As a Blazer fan, Houston has been a house of horrors for me over the course of my tenure as a Blazer maniac. And just the ease that that team went in there and just laid the wood to Houston. I know Houston's in a bit of disarray right now, but... I didn't imagine that type of performance in a million years. We swung the ball fantastically, split the defense. We were a step ahead of them, and I really loved how active our defense was. I thought we played fantastic defense. How can we take that to Memphis? I think you learn from your mistakes. Portland turned the ball over 21 times. They got sloppy with it. Uh, They missed a lot of free throws. I I tweeted out uh, we were only up 15 at the time. I was like, we should be up 20, 25 plus. We left a lot of missed dunks, open threes, missed free throws. So that's what you can take into the Memphis game, saying, okay, we cannot do this against a team like the Grizzlies. They are a tier above the Rockets. So you've got to play a little bit smarter, and you've got to you know, value every one of those possessions. And I think they will realize that and take that with them um, as they finish this road trip off. I mean, we're playing in the future – we're playing some real teams, so we got we we can't do silly things that will end up hurting us if we're truly thinking June. So, yeah. All right, Rip City. I think that about wraps it up. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you love us, love the stuff that we're putting out, give us five stars on iTunes. We are also on Stitcher and SoundCloud at Holy Backboard PDX. If you'd like to send us an email, you can do so at holybackboardpdx at gmail.com. And as always, you can find us tweeting along on Twitter at holybackboard. Thank you for a great episode, Sage. Let's get these two wins before All-Star break, buddy. Be sure to subscribe. If you if you mess with us, subscribe. That, that, that affects iTunes a lot. Uh, the ratings and five stars is fantastic, but a lot of the promotion that iTunes gives is based on subscribers. What what he said. All right, Rip City. Have a good one. Let's go.